0: Opinions expressed are not necessarily those of Salem Media Group, the station, or its advertisers. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gaston.
1: I want to welcome you all to another Monday edition of Lifeline. It is truly a pleasure and honor to be with you on this Monday evening, November 21st, 2022. And you know how life goes. We are um, enjoying the benefits of 21st century technology. We can talk to you virtually from anywhere on the planet uh, and to be able to have this kind of platform and vehicle to discuss things which you again is a real testament to a scientific uh improvement scientific discovery uh etc etc so we are here if we are having any problems uh, you can give us a call one or you may email me at um, at GBC, girl, boy, cat, GBC Hayward at gmail.com. If anything sounds weird, you know, every now and then we have these bizarre technical difficulties and uh, it seems like we are on the air and we want to make sure. And that being the case, I will just proceed with saying, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it even though we are very much concerned with everything that's going on in our world. And I had a long list of things that I kind of wanted to share with you. Um, Just some ideas around where we are going to be going here shortly, because you can hear it ramping up in the media like I don't know what. And that is politics, 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 the next election. The battle between who will be front runner and nominee for the uh, presidential candidacy on the Republican Party platform over the next year or so. And uh, it, it's right for us to begin to talk about it, it's right for us to work through the implications of it, it's right for us to to discuss how believers, how Christians, who how responsible men and women on the planet uh, uh, engage, understand, and address uh, political privileges, political responsibilities, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's kind of three things, three prongs here around what I call, and you've heard me say this for years now, the most diabolical uh, system on the planet among human beings is politics. The no, The most diabolically deceptive, manipulative Uh, controlling uh, system of human engagement, human policy, uh, human government is politics. Politics in many ways is by nature deceptive, by nature rotten when it comes to actually telling you the truth. And you know this is the case. Um, uh, But because we have seen wars that have taken place, we understand that Politics is uh, the next best best thing to war. It is a necessary evil when that system is operating the way that it should be. You and I can question very seriously whether or not that's the case these days. Um, But three things we'll talk about, and that will be in the second hour the hope of the Trump right, the hope of the Biden left, and the hope of what I am calling the illuminated middle. The illuminated middle referring to people who know better than to trust and depend upon the right or the left in our government to actually deliver on any promises they make to us. That's what I want to talk about in the second hour, the false hope of politics and why it's important for us to keep our hand on the pulse to make sure our lens and prism for interpretation doesn't get us into the kind of trouble that our country is in right now. There are a lot of indicators that our politics is so rotten to the core that for us to fall prey to dependence, trust in, and completely leaning upon the dialectical process of the swinging pendulum from left to right, to left to right, to left to right, while this pump cart is still going in the same direction is foolish for us to do. And so we're going to talk about that in the second hour, because I know a lot of you are really trying to figure out which way you want to go in terms of of, uh, of policies, in terms of people who might become the president of the United States, and you ought to know by now, if a president, be, if a person becomes president, they have a lot of power to change a lot of things in your country and to change them right away, and uh, and so Christians need to know how to address that because the one thing politics is good at doing is dividing everyone. And so we'll talk about that in the second hour, because we're going to have to face the emerging political cacophony that will take place over the months. But I am going to uh, warn you or let you know, coming up after the break, I am going to be doing an interview for the rest of this first hour. And I want you to stay tuned. I think it will be riveting. We'll have an opportunity to talk to an individual who happens to be the father-in-law of my firstborn daughter and uh, that means that his son who also is his firstborn is is uh, my son-in-law and we love each other dearly and uh and david tran wrote a book he is the co-mutual grandfather g poppy of seven grandchildren between his firstborn and my firstborn and so we share a lot of things and And as well, we share our faith in Christ. And David wrote a book called The Warning Shot, Memoirs of a Sinner Saved by Grace. And we're going to be talking about him being in Vietnam. We're going to be talking about him being a POW, prisoner of war. We're going to talk about him coming to a saving knowledge of Christ. We're going to talk about his understanding of uh, Marxist socialist uh, tyranny from a time that he was a child. And how he sees it happening in our own country today. You get a chance to talk to somebody who is not merely a theorist about how our country has taken over politically and socially, but he went through it himself. And maybe we'll get a chance to hear his heartfelt concerns about the deception, the manipulation and the gradual and incremental controlling of everything that's going on in our nation. And maybe some of us will wake up to the reality that we cannot just sit by and let our country be taken over. I promise you this interview that I'll be having with David will be riveting. I mean, if I were to just share with you just a few excerpts from the book, but I'm gonna let him do a major portion of it. I want you to think about this. This is phenomenal. This is from David Tran's book. It opens up this way. Bang, bang, two deafening gunshots reverberated in the quiet jungle. While I was not sure from whence the burst came, a voice thundered, surrender, live, resist, and die. Turning towards the sound, I saw two soldiers in moss green uniforms with pit helmets, standing behind the bushes near the creek, aiming their AK-47s at us. Chills ran down my spine. That was about three in the afternoon. Thursday, March 20th, the first day of spring, 1975. I can tell you what I was doing. 42 days before the demise of the Republic of Vietnam, my wife and I were captured by the North Vietnamese Army. That's the way David opens the book. He's a real brother. He's a real man. He'd been through some real stuff. He doesn't have to lie to you and me. He went through it. And so we're gonna have a good time talking about his life, his upbringing, his uh, commitment to fight for his country. uh, Some of the things he went through in the POW camp, how his wife and himself were uh, captured and how God brought them through and brought them to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus which was a major contribution to how him and I uh came to know each other and how his son and my daughter uh came to be uh in covenant uh with seven of our beautiful grandchildren the story uh I hope will be of educational value to you spiritual value I hope that we have a lot of our Asian brothers and sisters lis- listening from Vietnam, from 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 China, because you know that they're they're all uh, Asian. So I, I definitely want you to uh, be listening because I'm sure they have a story as well. This will be David Tran. He is a dear brother in Christ. He will be sharing with us what happened in the years 1969 all the way up to this present, and uh, it will be a blessing. This will be an education for all of us. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. It's your host, obviously, for these two hours, an hour and 45 minutes. Now, Jesse Gistin, glad to be with you. We're going to just actually do some Bill Payne and some commercials. Hopefully, we'll have him on the line when he comes back, and we'll just talk with David for this first segment and maybe a little bit more because there's a lot about his life that we can learn. We will be right back. And now, back to Lifeline. We are back on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host, Jesse Gistan. And I have a dear friend and uh, now family, uh, David Tran on the line. As I told you guys during the uh, first segment, I wanted to uh, have the opportunity to talk with David, uh, with whom we have uh, mutual interests as uh, being fathers, fathers, and father-in-laws of both of our firstborn with a host of grandchildren that we share together, which we are uh, earnestly praying for to uh, to know our Savior in the fullness of his grace and to um, to overcome some of the challenges that we have faced ourselves in, in, in this world. Um, it's going to be a pleasure to talk to him. He wrote a book, as I share with you, called warning shot, shots. It really is a memoir. He'll say that's himself uh, a family memoir. The, the The book is over 200 and something pages long. And so it's not, it's not what most people would call a short read, but it's filled with so many valuable things that I think would be very helpful for people, one, who uh, would be kind of wanting a perspective on what went on in um in, in Vietnam, probably from the early 60s on through um, its uh, its liberation uh, um, around 1975, a little bit later, as David will enunciate. And then just this will be a benefit to our Asian brothers and sisters who are listening. If you are um, of Vietnamese descent on either side, um, David will be talking to us here shortly about um, what what it means to have lived during that time, and and maybe this will stimulate for you also some some hope as we deal both with the po- politics of that day, and the politics of our day, and of course ultimately with uh, with what our Lord does in delivering us even out of the midst of extremely extremely uh, difficult world circumstances. David, are you there? Yes. Hi, Pastor Jesse. How are you? Very good. Great. It was good to talk to you this morning. I hope um, the weather there in Maryland this evening is not uncomfortable for you to have a chat with me and, and a lot of our listeners today. No, I'm
0: with all the heat on and everything. I'm fine.
1: <laughs> Great. Great. Um, David, um, I'm looking at your book, The Warning mm-hmm. Shots. i I shared with our audience before you came on the um, the opening, probably, uh, tribute that you wrote when uh, you wrote the introduction, Bang Bang, two deafening gunshots, rever- reverberating in the quiet jungle while I was not sure from whence the burst came. A voice thundered, Surrender and live, resist and die. Turning towards the sound, I saw two soldiers in moss-green uniforms with pit helmets standing behind the bushes near the creek, aiming their AK-47s at us. Chills ran down your spine. That was about three hours, or at three o'clock in the afternoon, Thursday, March 20th, the first day of spring, 1975, and more than that. Forty-two days before the demise of the Republic of Vietnam, my wife and I were captured by the North Vietnamese Army. What a way to open up your memoirs. Will you, will you, will you tell me um, – I want to go back a little bit to, to your yeah. childhood, obviously, but will you tell me what was – how old were you and Anna when that happened? I was 28 Mm
0: -hmm. and Anna was 20.
1: And David, um, were you at that time in the service, in the military?
0: Yes, I was the first lieutenant of the medical service
1: corps. And that would be that you were in uh, the uh, Republic of Vietnam, right? yes of course <laughs> yes well you know not everybody I mean I guess I would hope that we would have brothers and sisters who were on the wrong side who made it out to, to tell us of the horrible things um, that that the adversary um, would have um, you know forced them into but we'll get a chance to do that can you do me a favor and just start a little bit back at um, at your upbringing mm-hmm. Um and how how um, how how you um, grew up as a young man just just maybe just some ideas around your childhood I've got a few excerpts from your book but just give us a little bit about your upbringing before we go to break here in about five minutes okay
0: I was the second generation of Chinese born in
1: Vietnam
0: my father came from Canton so my ancestry should be Cantonese. Yeah. And then my mom has a Vietnamese mother. So actually, I have 25% of Vietnamese blood. Yes. So my mom and our five brothers, all male in the family, were born in Vietnam. So I consider Vietnam my hometown. Right. And then we grew up in the Chinese portion of the the capital of Saigon, so actually we all speak Cantonese there. And we went to Cantonese school and at about fourth grade that we have to study Vietnamese and then the Lord gifted me some language capability so I'm always chosen to represent the class to sit in the first row. So when the Vietnamese Department of Education come to inspect the school, we would show them our capability of speaking in Vietnamese. Right. I started learning English after sixth grade, and then I still take Chinese school, finish Chinese school, all speaking. At that time, the medical school would speak Mandarin. Now they call it. Right. And so I can speak Cantonese and Mandarin. And then after that, I switched to an all English school. And in that school, we have many teachers that were family members of the American Armed Forces there by then. That's why my English accent was pretty American. Yes. And then after that, I tried to go to Taiwan to, st- to study in the university. So I went to another Chinese high school to finish the Chinese high school. And after I finished the high school, the government changed their criteria for studying abroad. So I have to take winner's high school diploma in order to go out. Right. So I have to take two years. Because Winnery's High School has two parts. One first part of high school has a diploma. You have to take a national exam. And then the second part, you also have to take take this national exam to pass. So I finished the first part, and at the end of the second part, I have to go to surgery. Because from my mother's side, I have very serious hemorrhoids since age 12. So far... I've experienced only six surgery of hemorrhoid, and during the last year of high, Vietnamese high school, so I have a surgery. After that, I have hemorrhage very seriously, almost died, and then I have to quit the exam and have to resume the next year. And by then they also lowered the standard because the war in Vietnam was ex- escalating, so they want all the resource of um, man to go to go to the war. So I have to stay in Vietnam. So I have to take go to college. So I took pharmacy. Right. And then in 1968, everybody know that there's a big Event happened. It's called a Tet Offensive. Right. And then everybody with in certain age have to report for service. And I was born at the end of the year in Vietnam. We calculated the age by the year, not not by the day and a month. Right. I was born in December, so I I just f- fell into the crack that I have to report for duty. But since I have I'm a university student. So I can go to the academy instead of going just a regular soldier boot camp. So I joined the Vietnamese Army in March 1969 and graduated from the academy. They call infantry school. And then, because I study in pharmacy school, so they chose me to the medical service corps. So I stay in Saigon for another eight nine months to finish my my study in medical service, and after that, in August 1970, I chose my unit in the command post of the Second Military Corps. That's in the Central Highland Pleiku. Cool. So I stay there until. That we
1: have to retreat in 1975. This is where I want to stop because that was excellent. I'm appreciating, I'm appreciating that history. That very short. There's a lot in between that. Obviously, that um, I would love for people to get the book "Warning Shot" and read, particularly of your childhood. A lot of things there. I'm gonna. We're gonna take a break and uh, do some commercials. And when we come back, I want to kind of. Uh, back up a little bit and then go forward. I want to talk a little bit about your siblings and um, your your childhood and how that also played a role in your health as you were mentioning in the book and 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 how that car- carried itself into into your military experience as well. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. You're listening to your host Jesse Giston. I'm talking with a a good friend of mine, um, a mutual interest. David Tran happens to be the father of my son-in-law, Will Tran, who happens to be married to my daughter, Rachel Tran. And uh, we are catching up with history around how uh, God uh, saved David and his family uh, through some very difficult times in Vietnam. And we will get to a point where we will talk about what happened then and what's going on now in our world as well. We're going to take a break, pay some bills, and we will be Right back. And now back to Lifeline. We're back and I am talking with David Tran and we are talking about a book that he was privileged to write called Warning Shots. And uh, he's giving us a little bit of a a biographical sketch of his upbringing in Vietnam. And I'm reading a portion, David, called The Family Tree. uh, My father's schooling, another tale Dad liked to relate was that since the family was so poor, therefore he had gotten only eight months of a half day reading and writing lessons from a village teacher with a handful of pupils in the dried food shop of First Uncle. When there was that little uh, bit of free time, Dad built up his vocabulary by tracing the writings on the sale ledger and del- delivery receipts through strenuous self-discipline dad was able to read the newspapers as a loving parent he was willing to provide his children the education that he sorely missed dad worked hard in his brother's shop as an apprentice he was the first to wake up wash uh, washed the teapot and the cups made tea uh, to open and then open up shop. he prepared vegetables for the cook set up the dining table, wash dishes at night. He swept the floor cleaned up after closing. One night during the usual year-end rush to ship goods to the uh, Maidong, Mekong uh, Delta, dad shouldered a loaded bamboo basket going down the long wooden staircase. Drowsily, he stumbled headlong down the steps. Fortunately, he suffered no broken bones, but escaped with bruises And then you talk about remarkable skills. Gradually, Dad mastered the dried food uh, trade. By a glance of the samples, he differentiated the various grades of rices, beans, and nuts, preserved vegetables, and dried fruit. Dad calculated in his head the cost from Chinese weights into that in the kilogram and vice versa. He snapped string and cord grass with his bare hand to wrap packages neatly as uh, done by machines. He could sense accurately weights ranged from a few Chinese ounces to tens of kilograms by hand. Once I was uh, concerned about my luggage uh, might exceed the weight limit, so I asked Dad to give an estimate, and it turned out exactly as much as the uh, Air Vietnamese Service Counter. It seems like your father was almost a self-educated, self-made man, and that seemed like it passed on to some of you guys too. David, would you talk a little bit about dad and then your 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 mom as well before we pick up with um, your high school days going forward? Okay. okay. Um, so we're always
0: proud of our daddy because he started from scratch to a, a new place and became a very successful businessman mm-hmm. and uh, and he taught us, and especially he taught one thing I always remember in my life: never owe any debt and which is totally different from the u s
1: absolutely <laughs> and
0: to be honest, not to cheat anyone just like because I remember that, so the money we borrow from somebody for my family to flee Vietnam, and then yeah. the the holder of all those money, he he told me that, hey, you are the only one that return the money you borrow from me. Right. As well, oh, that that's what I learned from my father. Wow. And I am number three in a family of five boys. So, I am not the one that um, have to receive all the brunt. <laughs> right. But, uh, right. Also, I don't have the favoritism from from the parents, but they are not not uh, doing anything that's not right. And so, my father is a businessman all his life, and then my mom, from her father, he was the merchant that make paper products
1: okay. and
0: uh, he invented a machine that even the Japanese merchant want to buy the copyright from him but since he's a member of the Kuomintang means the Nationalist Party he said I would never sell anything to the Japanese and that was during the time that Vietnam was occupied by the Japanese right. so that's very brave and then because of my mom always in charge of the shop, so she's very smart in managing money. So I think so. We both we got the benefit from both of them, and we're
1: pretty smart
0: in dealing money.
1: Very good. Listen, I read about your uncle Lie
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, uh, and 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 his his love. For education, the the academic side of it, and he had a library apparently that you were able to have access to. Can you can you talk to us a little bit about how in those times uh, there were weren't as many accessible libraries or resources that a young uh, Vietnamese. Uh, could get a hold of, and how, how that also began to shape your view of academics, pharmaceuticals, or, or any of the stuff that a young man might be uh, caused to dream about once you start reading books.
0: Uh, because my father, just like I have said in the book, that he wanted us to be learned.
1: Right. So
0: he would spend a lot of money to buy us magazines, books, and always with a monthly subscription from this and that from Hong Kong. Yeah. So I am one of the bookworms in the family. <laughs> and my uncle, he only finished a fourth grade education in in Saigon by then, in the 1940s. And then he bought English books, and he studied by himself. One of them is embroidery. One yeah. Of st- is beekeeping. Wow. And then he was so studious he sometimes he substituted my mom sitting in the counter and then one Vietnamese merchant come in and said, "Why? you're reading Uncle? That's English because by then in Vietnam English is useless. right Everybody used French. Right. And then my grandfather heard that he was real mad. He said, track all your English book, I want you to continue my business. So you have to learn French. And then he became
1: mentally sick and then died maybe in his early thirties. And how did you have access to any of those resources or was it just the story that you were told that compelled you to start being arduous and studious uh, academically, David? And because our family is
0: the one that have a very big, large bookcase or book cabinet. So my mom brought all uncle Lai's books home. So I can, when I have free time, I just flip them and see. Of course, I couldn't read English by then, but I still remember what's the content of them. Even he has some chemical textbook by then yeah. the equation of chemicals interaction or not an arrow but A plus B equals C. Yeah. That's one thing that I never seen in any other books. And he has a whole set of the Kangxi dictionary, which yeah. was the most complete Chinese dictionary in the Qing dynasty. So I have the honor
1: to flip over to see what those terms mean. Now, what I want to do after I come back from our break here in a moment, remember I was telling you in our conversation earlier today, one of the reasons why podcasts are becoming so absolutely um, popular is because we could just talk uninterrupted for hours And people all around the world are wanting to hear conversations about real, real stories, not made up stuff, not your fake news, not your not your phony history. And I I can imagine even right now, David, so many of my Vietnamese and my Asian brothers and sisters who listen to this program and and listen to me uh, could begin to ponder back in their days too because some of them are older than me and obviously you are as well but they can richly imagine some of the uh wonderful times that they had as well when i come back i am one i'm gonna want to talk to you a little bit about uh how high school was and how it launched you into the military and then from there we can kind of go forward be uh, uh with the c- kind of uh serendipity of experience by which you met your wife and uh, and and you and Anna uh, began your uh, very interesting journey through uh, through the war and uh, and into America. That's what I want to talk about when we come back. We're going to take this break. You guys uh, continue to listen. Call your friends, particularly if they are um, of Asian descent and, and have any interest in the conversation about, you know, how God's grace worked in a very, very unpopular war called the Vietnamese, the Vietnam War that uh, many of our family members were a part of. And David himself was in the war. As you guys have already heard, we'll learn more and we'll begin to anchor this into the providence of God and show how God is able to deliver even from the most difficult plights. It's the Monday edition of Lifeline. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. As we continue on this Monday edition of Lifeline, I am having a conversation with David Tran about a book that he wrote, a memoir of a sinner saved by grace. I hope to get to that. We will take this conversation over into the second hour, obviously. Um, But there's so much here. Let me start at what piqued my interest uh, moving from middle school to high school, David. It says um, uh, a new house, this is page 49 in your book. Uh, At the final year of middle school, we moved from the alley to a three-story house. The house was four meters by 20 meters with four-meter ceilings plus a terrace on the fourth level. This house was huge in comparison with the old one. The house located near the thoroughfare, the Hung Dao Avenue, which spanned Saigon and Calon, two movie theaters Uh, named Oscar and Palace were five and ten minutes walking distance away. The house was two blocks from a major market, so it was very convenient for groceries. From uh, early dawn, the motorized tricycles carrying goods from uh, truck stops to the market were already busy traveling on our streets. Uh, And then you go on to talk about the high school experience, English high school. After junior high, Again following Brother Zhu Lang and you'll have to correct me on that. I went oh. to an English school operated by Catholics called Free Pacific Language Institute. For boys we were long sleeve, we wore long sleeve white shirts and khaki trousers. And then you go on to talk about, you'll fill it in for me, that in this school, uh, by attending the school, your English had become tremendously strengthened and your accent became more American than it did British. And then, David, you started talking about how all of uh, your teachers came to teach in their huge American uh, sedans and how that you had even started learning the bible we had an african-american teacher miss abrams probably who wrote in uh your souvenir notebook pride goeth before destruction in a haughty spirit <laughs> before a fall looking back i thank god for moving her to give me a bible verse uh hinting <laughs> to what was in me help us understand a little bit of those growing from middle school to high school you and your brothers and, and how that also was a convergence in God's providence to start um, confronting you with biblical truth. Um, I grew up in the time that
0: um, the American armed forces was increasing more and more, and then also uh, have taken part in, like most people at evening, they have nothing to do. They watched the TV program from the AFTRS mm-hmm. Armed Forces Television and Radio Service Yeah, and the Lord's been leading me to remember the ending scene of the TV station Yeah, be still and know that I'm God somehow I remember that and so um I think, when I look back, all the steps of my life, the Lord been protecting me, leading me to know him.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. And um, so I attended that uh, English school for three semesters, and then I, since I wanted to go to Taiwan, I had to get a Chinese high school diploma. So I switched to a Chinese high school.
1: Yeah. When and, you... Go ahead on, David. Go
0: ahead on. And then, by then, you have to be under 18 to go to Taiwan. And when I finished the Chinese high school, they changed. They, they, they required that you, you need to have a Vietnamese okay. high school diploma.
1: Oh, okay.
0: So that's why I took another three years to finish that. And by then I became 21, and no way I can
1: go out to attend a Youth College. So you were confined by policy not to go out. I I need Mm -hmm. you to ask, I need you to help us understand the background to that in terms of the political confinements and controls that were happening to you guys that shaped, um, moving you now into um, uh, being called into the military. Because the war was increasing day by day. Yep.
0: And then only when you are in college, you can get deferment. And so they come down, down to the all male at the age of 18. They have to join the armed forces. But if you're in school, you can delay until you're 20. And if you're still in university, you can stay until 25. But then when my time came, they they would not only allow certain age limits, so I have to go to uh,
1: officer school. Yeah. So tell me, how does... Sounds of War, which are uh, a few pages back. I, I understand what's going on here. How does Sounds of War? On one afternoon, we had haircuts in front of our home from an itinerant barber. It heard sporadic yet distant gunfire. The barber hurriedly finished his job and went home. All the doors in the alley were shut. Mom told us to stay underneath the big wooden bed. Then she went to the nearby grocer to get some salted eggs and dried fish, the survival food of wartime. The uncle from House number 6 went out to scout for information and came back to announce that it was the end of the conflict between President Dame and the warlord, Levin Vein. After the ouster of the warlord, the opium dens, the two casinos, along with the daily... Lotto uh legalized prostitution were outlawed. At that point, what was happening? An invasion of the Viet Cong?
0: No, that's not the invasion of Viet Cong. That's only the cleanup of the president uh Diem to take out the warlord's power. By who? Who did the cleanup? Oh the uh... Official government's
1: forces. Because the war law have their own armed forces. Yeah, yeah. How was that for you guys? How was that for a young were you in middle school at that time? Oh I was still in grade school. Oh, you were still in grade school? Okay. How, how was that psychologically? Um so because we are in a big big family and then
0: so we heard the gunshots and there's no actual action happening around our area, so it was only in the news and out in the talk of the people. Right. Not much effect on any daily life.
1: Oh, okay. So you were able to continue as the naive, you know, I think that's a gift from God, yeah. the naive kind of, you know, going about your daily business as, yeah. as, as anyone else. All the way up through the prosperity of Dad being able to acquire enough income to buy a bigger house, and now mm-hmm. we're in high, and now we're in high school. We are finishing high school. We're at at 21, and now you're being you're being enlisted into the military. How did you feel about that? Before we go to the break, how did you feel about the call now to serve your country?
0: Because uh, we Chinese always have the superiority complex because China has been ruling Vietnam for more than a thousand years. That's why there's always racial hatred toward each other. Right. And so after all those years I grew up in Vietnam, I said well, we this is our homeland so why right. should we avoid our responsibility to protect our homeland? Right. And then with uh, my high school education and me may, may, with my English capability, so I might get a
1: desk job in the military. Right. So now what I want to do is i got to take a break. We're going to go over to the other side of the break, and I want you to walk us through um, your experience in the military up to... Um, Briefly, and then i want us I want us to get an idea of how military and marriage <laughs> came together we're talking to david tran uh my daughter's um father in law and my son in law will's father and we're actually talking about god's providence as you guys can tell if you're a believer, and we are nowhere near done with this story and we're just getting ready to press into the nature of God's grace to be able to save his people from their sin, even in the midst of major, major difficulty. We will carry this over to what's happening to our country today, because I talked to a lot of my Asian brothers and sisters, David, particularly from Vietnam and and China, and they definitely can see uh, some harbingers and some some, uh, parallels um, at the social level, uh, economic level, and at the propaganda level taking place in America. We will be right back.